and a good morning to you. Welcome to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, which is brought to you by Mizuno Golf, Reach Beyond, by Club Car, the global leader in golf utility and fun personal vehicles, by RSM, proud sponsor of the RSM Classic, giving back to our communities, by Bridgestone Golf, play the ball that fits you, and by Sea Palms Resort. Join today and improve your short game at the Miracle Practice Facility. Today on the show, we're going to talk with Richard Adams, Director of Rules and Competition with the GSGA, about the recent amateur status changes that go into effect on January 1st. And then we're going to talk to him about an incident that happened to me yesterday, get his opinion. Then we'll talk with Cheyenne Overby, Tournament Director of the Corn Ferry Finals at the Landings Club, see what's going on there today and this weekend. And then finally, we'll talk with Nathan Weston, who measures PGA golf courses all over the United States. Those are the yardage books that the pros use. And we'll also talk about the new rules committee that has come out by Rory McElroy, who is the chairman, to ban the green reading books beginning next year. Should be interesting. So let's start with Richard Adams, Director of Rules and Competition for the Georgia State Golf Association. Good morning, Richard. Welcome to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Good morning to you, Rich. Thanks for having me today. It is a pleasure. Um, first, I want you to give us some background uh, on the rules for the amateur status, if you don't mind. Sure. So uh, a lot of golfers are probably familiar that in 2019, the, the rules of golf that we all play by underwent a pretty serious overhaul and, and a lot of big changes. And this uh, change to the amateur status rules, which are also technically the rules of golf, but they're obviously a little bit different. Uh, also underwent a big change that started in 2017. And it basically, uh, the, the big thing that you're either an amateur or a professional, and, and this these rules, uh, it's been a four or five year process that the USGA and the RNA are now decided that uh, they're going to lift a lot of restrictions, make a few kind of significant changes. And, uh, and what you said is that going to affect January uh, 1st of 2022 of next year. Okay, well, uh, somebody just texted in uh, Steve Z and wanted to know why is it so important to modernize this process now? Well, the biggest uh, the biggest thing, what the USGA and the RNA decided is uh, they really targeted the elite amateur game. Now, that's not to say that these rules don't also affect the everyday 15 to 20 handicapper, but uh, players that either play collegiately or just amateurs that play on the high-level uh, elite amateur golf uh, it, the, the old rules that are going to leave us in, in two months didn't really reflect this new amateur game. Uh, and they weren't kind of up to date with the times of how expensive and time consuming it is to play and travel, uh, the way that all these elite amateur events are throughout the country and the world really. All right. So how do golfers stay in the amateur status? I know it has to do with, you know, certain tournaments and, uh, there's money involved, but, uh, you know, there's some listeners like Tony who, who just, you know, wants to go up to the limit but not lose his amateur status. So what is that? Of course. So there are a few things that are fairly obvious. It, pretty much all golfer, golfers are amateur golfers unless they are a golf professional employed by a club or a driving range. They, give, they get paid to give instruction or do things like that or – um, if you play in, in any sort of competition, a lot of times the winner or the, the, the organizations will give out prizes. So okay. um, typically the, the prize limit until next January 1st was $750 of generally it's pro shop credit or maybe a gift card. They couldn't give cash. 
Now, um, if you're playing in a scratch or a gross competition, uh, that limit is going to go up to a thousand dollars. And those those scratch competitions are now able to give out cash prizes, which that's a big change, uh, basically to help uh, ex- help alleviate travel expenses and things like that. Now, handicap competitions, member guests, things like that. The the limit is now going to be a thousand dollars starting January first, but it's still going to be you can't give out cash prizes. They have to be still valued at a thousand. If you give, you know, give away a driver or you give away something like that, it can't be over a thousand dollars in value. Okay. But now amateurs, uh, based on some new rules that have come out, they can now benefit from their name, their image or likeness in order to help them with some entry fees to get into some of the amateur events. Absolutely. And is this that a been... change, Richard? I'm sorry to, but is it, it is. And, and that's okay. something that, like I said, the, this process to change the amateur status rules has been going on a long time. But obviously with the NCAA making this change for collegiate athletes, the USGA uh, and the RNA kind of just lumped in all amateur golfers. Because if, if they hadn't, it would be kind of an unfair playing field where college players can can sign with a car dealership or something like that right. and advertise their name and receive uh, compensation for their their name, image, and likeness, and then a you know a 26 year old amateur who's competing against them couldn't. So this this limits all those restrictions. So if a player does do do that in some way, they they're still an amateur. There's no restriction on that anymore for any golfer. Okay, so why did that change? Because before you weren't able to do that. Is it trying to help these amateurs get into more tournaments? It's really um, it's partly just to stay in step with, with the changing times, but also, like I said, it's, it's, a the, the, they recognize that you're not just playing on the local level anymore. If you're trying to, you know, make the Walker cup team or, you know, it started with the college players. It's just that you're not playing as much locally. You're playing, you know, you're going to play the U S amateur, you're going to play all these national and international competitions and by um, by allowing these players to uh, advertise themselves or, or make money off of their name, they're able to sort of recoup those expenses a little bit more. So that's that was the the, the big thing there. Okay, so have the costs increased for elite amateur events? Absolutely, yeah. Oh, it's, wow. Okay. Um, you know, fifteen twenty, and it's not just entry fees. It's, it's getting to those tournaments and, and, and lodging. And then if you have a caddy bringing that, you know, bringing them out there and just the expenses overall, um, when you're playing past kind of the local level or your state level, or just not only are there, the, it's more travel, but there are just more tournaments than there ever were before. So, and, and two, a lot of amateurs are now getting invited uh, to play in, in professional events, even as amateurs. So, um, Pros deal with that every day. Amateurs hadn't always been dealing with that. Okay, so any idea, Richard, and I know this is a tough question because it kind of depends on a lot of factors, but what are the costs for an amateur to play on the circuit, I guess, so to speak, of amateur events? What do you think the average cost is? Um, It's... it's in the, you know, it, it depends obviously on, on how many events you play, but it's, it's definitely in the thousands to tens of thousands. Um, just, it's mainly just travel because, you know, let's say uh, the U S amateur is in California that year and you live, you live in Savannah that's going to be a significant expense. Right, and then right. you want to come back and you want to play, 
you know, something in, in, you know, a big amateur event in the New England area, there's another big flight. So it kind of just depends on um, how many events you want to plan. But what this, another goal of this is to kind of lift the barrier so that it's not just, you know, people that can't afford to play in this. They want the best players to be playing in these events and to, and to eventually um, succeed on the amateur level so they know if they can go professional or not. So um, it's really just kind of levels the playing field a little bit and allowing players um, to try to recoup these expenses in any way that they can. All right, I got two more questions for you. Sure. In the rules, yeah. the one I wish that would change is when a, you hit a great drive and it ends up in a divot. And <laughs> I know now you, I mean, and the rule states you got to hit it out of the divot. It just doesn't seem fair. Yes, you're you're not the only person that's ever said that to me. And I would I would, uh, you know, I, I completely sympathize. I don't hit that many fairways. So if I do and it's in the divot, it's, it's never, I don't always enjoy that. But also, uh, you know, it, it's one of the things that I and a lot of people love about, about golf is it's kind of like life. It's not always fair. Right. But you have to adapt to the situations. And and, you know, every time that you hit it in a fairway um, and it's in a divot, I'd say more often than not, you hit it in the rough and somehow it's just sitting there on a tee. So if we're, if we're, I'm not going to make you step on that ball because you hit a bad drive. Now right. you got to, you got to roll with it. So I don't, and, and the other thing that's difficult about that too, is defining what exactly a divot is and how, when does it not become a divot anymore and, and, and all that, how has it healed? Is, is there sand in it? Right. So I think right. that's just, that's one that I don't know if a lot of things changed in two years ago that I, I was surprised by, but. I don't think that's ever going to change. It's just part of the game is, is, is dealing with adverse circumstances. Well, it's not one of my favorites. But, you know, here, here's another thing. Some divots are filled in with sand, and some divots are replaced by the caddy to place over it, which means yeah. maybe it's not as bad as it could have been with the sand, but it, it's still unfair. Anyway, all right. <laughs> Sorry. Um, rule 412 needs to change. All right, I've got okay. a question. I was playing yesterday with uh, Fred, and uh, here's, here's what happened. We were playing two-on-one. There were only three of us. We were playing in the okay. rain. It was cold. My partner makes the putt on a par three. I was maybe a couple feet away, maybe four feet, okay? I said, okay, okay. you make yours. We beat this guy. Mine's good. He didn't say anything. He puts down a bogey. Who's right? Your partner or your or your competitor? Put My down partner. And and was, was your score? Yeah, he made the your, par. The other okay. guy made a bogey, so we won the hole. So the hole was okay. over. So I just picked okay. up my putt and took a par. Oh, okay. Well, that's once as far as the match is concerned and the rules are concerned. Once you, once your partner hold out for par, the yep. that was that was it. So really, yeah. it's it, it, there's the. Um, it doesn't, your score didn't matter anymore. So, um, in, unless you're in, unless at some point later down the line, it was determined that your partner committed some penalty that you didn't know about at the time on that hold that would have changed the result. But yeah, once, once he, once he completed the score for the hole and was kind of your yeah. counting score, that, that was it. That, yeah. that ended the hole. Yeah. The penalty that he did was he gave me a bogey. Oh, well, that sounds like something y'all need to settle up, but I didn't, I, <laughs> if, if, Basically, if you if you had a putt that was for par and, and yeah. your partner made the par, then that's kind of that's, that's all there is to it at that I, point. Yeah, 
I totally agree. I mean, it's it, right, yeah. So it, I'm one for two with you there. Yes, you are. Yeah, you are. <laughs> Divots, no. This, yes. All right. I like it. Richard, thank you for taking time to be with us. I love this relationship that we've started with the Georgia State Golf Association, and I know we're going to do it every uh, first Saturday of every month. So thank you for uh, being with us today. And uh, if you can do anything on the Divots, uh, please just uh, <laughs> send me a text. I know I won't be the first person you send it to. Uh, happy to be on. I'll see what I can do about that for you. All right, Richard. Richard. Have a great weekend. Thanks for being you, with us. You too. Thanks. All right. Richard Adams with the Georgia State Golf Association. And uh, next up is going to be Cheyenne Overby. Cheyenne's going to be talking to us from the Corn Ferry Tour Finals Q School at the Landings Club in Savannah. But right now you need to think about what are you going to do for dinner tonight. Well, it's going to be deep dish time. Just like when I lived in Chicago, it is so good, so thick. It is just the best. And it's at CJ's Italian Restaurant. Check out their full menu at cjsitalianrestaurant.com. They are known for that. Their thin crust cauliflower pizzas are just as good, and it is unbelievable. But check out their calzones. Everything is made from scratch. They do benefits for the schools. The schools make up a pizza menu. And what you and if you order that, that part of the proceeds goes to the schools. So check out everything at cjsitalianrestaurant.com. Johnson from the PGA Tour, and you're listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. And welcome back. I'm Rich Stiles. Glad you're with us this morning. The Corn Ferry Tour is having their finals at the Landings Club in Savannah, playing on two courses. And with us is Cheyenne Overby. Good morning, Cheyenne. How are you? Good morning, Rich. I'm well. How are you? I am well, just trying to stay warm and dry. We are trying to do the same up here. A lot of layers. Yeah. All right. Tell me what's going on. I mean, a lot of our fans I know and listeners and people up in Savannah are, uh, you know, kind of watching out what's going on in the Corn Ferry Finals up there at the landings, playing at two courses. Yes. We've got uh, players on the newly renovated Magnolia course and the Marshwood course, and all players that are in the field this week have obtained status on the Corn Ferry Tour for the 2022 season, and they're uh, finish this week determines how many starts that they'll get come spring. So uh, the level of, of competition quality is pretty intense, and, and these guys are out here playing for uh, a job next year. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot on the line. I mean, every shot is important uh, despite the weather conditions. I mean, everybody is playing in the same conditions. But, I mean, a lot of their futures are right here. What happens this weekend? They are. You know, the, the player that finishes uh, as the medalist will receive fully exempt status next year on the Corn Cherry Tour and have starts all throughout the season. And uh, a player that starts out, finishes outside the top 40 could have status that equates to being able to play in Monday qualifiers. So there is a significant, significant difference from where they finish uh, at the end of the week. And the neat thing is I was looking over the field. I mean, there are several players who have played and actually won not more than, I mean, some more than once on the PGA Tour. There are. It ranges all the way from uh, the, the inaugural class of PGA Tour University and collegiate athletes who are in final stage for the first time. Uh, all the way up to Jonathan Bird, who's a five-time PGA Tour winner. Yeah, I mean, I wish them all the success. I mean, this is tough to be on the PGA Tour and now trying to get your card back on the Corn Ferry Tour. So it, it, it is even more on the line for a lot of these players. And you've got a lot of college players, as you said, PGA Tour U and so on, who have had success, and they're trying to gain status. 
Sure. Yeah, it's a it's an intense week. It's it's difficult competition. There are a lot of guys in the field that have experience winning tournaments, experience winning tournaments on the highest stage, and uh, you have to go up against that when you come out and play your way through Q school. Let me ask you this. I mean, this is a a hypo. No, it's really not a hypothetical. So you've got guys that have won on the PGA Tour. And they've won on the Corn Ferry Tour, and now they're trying to. Do you think the pressure is on them to do better because they've played on the PGA Tour and won? So, are they? They could be, you know, really in a, a point of uh, stress and uh, being tight because there's a lot on the line for them as well. You know, I think the pressure is probably the same for everyone out here. If you are out here, that means that you have. Uh, some type of status, you don't know what that is, but whether you have won five times or whether you're here for the first time out of college, uh, the pressure is fighting for your job next year. So, I, you know, I'm not sure that it, that it matters. I, I think what benefits the guys who have won is that they've been in contention before and they know how to handle uh, that stress in addition to the stress of fighting for your job. But I think no matter what, uh, Q-School is, is a pretty, uh, pretty challenging field to be yeah. in. It's a pretty challenging process to go through, and... You know, I think final stage is sort of the the peak of of that uh, for all of them. Yeah. Um, so, explain to our listeners who gets tour cards at the end of the final round tomorrow. So, Q School has a medalist, and if three players tie at the top, they all medal. The medalist is fully exempt on the Corn Ferry Tour the following season. Uh, finishers two through eleven receive guaranteed starts through the first eight events of the season. Excuse me, the first twelve events of the season, and then finishers 12 through 40 receive eight starts through the beginning of next season. So top 40 in ties is a really crucial place to finish uh, so that they can uh, get out there early season, hopefully play well, and uh, continue to raise their status before uh, the first eight or 12 events are up. And outside of that, uh, status changes. And, and like I said, it can be anything from uh, the ability to just play in a Monday qualifier. So there's there's a wide range of conditional status that comes in outside top 40 in ties. And, you know, there's uh, a pretty good entry fee to get into this final stage, a few thousand dollars, but there's also a $50,000 first-place prize for the medalist. Yeah, so the entry fee is actually for Q-School uh, across all stages. So there's pre-Q, first stage, second stage, and final stage. The entry fee uh, is, uh, it's, uh, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but it goes up as you make a lot, as you get through additional stages. So okay. there's a set fee to enter Q-School. Uh, that entry fee is really solely to pay for the operational expense of Q-School. Uh, first stage and second stage operates across multiple cities. There's multiple second and third stage sites. So uh, yes, there is a purse, which is nice. So the guys that are playing this week are at least playing for a little bit of money. And uh, what have you seen weather-wise for the rounds today and tomorrow for the finals? Beautiful outdoor sport we have here. <laughs> it <laughs> is wet and rainy for sure today yeah. and looks yeah. beautiful tomorrow. So people should just bundle up and come prepared and get to enjoy golf still. Well, Cheyenne, let's talk about another thing that's coming up uh, first part of next year, the uh, Club Car Championship at the Landings Club. Give us the dates of that. Uh, we are March 28th through April 3rd next year and really, really excited. It's year five for us, and we're looking forward to it. And how great was it for you guys to get Club Car as your major sponsor? I, I mean, it's crucial, right, for the tournament's long-term success and to just elevate the event to 
where it needs to be and our ability to continue to grow the event and provide better fan experiences and better opportunities for the people we have on site. You just cannot do that uh, without a title sponsor, and we are very lucky to work with Club Car. They want this tournament to be as successful as we do and, and are very engaged in, in what we do every day. And the Landings is uh, has been a great partner for you for the entire time that you've had the tournament up there. The club's incredible. I, I don't think I could ever overstate that enough. They have been amazing to us from, from the outset. They came on as our presenting sponsor. They uh, were excited and encouraged to host the Final Stage 2 school and just continue to, to be uh, our very important partners for us and supporters of our business and professional golf in the market overall. Can you give us the website and when will tickets be available for the Club Car Championship next March? Uh, the website's Club Car Championship, AT as an at, TLC as in the landing club, dot com, and tickets go on sale January 18th. Could be a great event. It will be a great event. I mean, I've always enjoyed coming up, uh, and it's played on the Deer Creek course, um, which is a Tom Fazio design uh, of one of the six courses there at the landings. It will be, yes. We love our course. I'm probably a bit biased, but yeah, it's been fun to be over here for Q School and a couple other courses designed by Arnold Palmer, but ours is and I think she's in the best shape she's ever been in. All right, one last question. Are you amazed at the talent that these kids are coming into a Q School opportunity, the talent that they have over the years that you've been with the PGA Tour? Yeah, and I think it gets more competitive out there every year. I I think seeing Q School in, in the field is similar to what you see on Monday qualifiers where you're just playing for a handful of spots but going up against people who have had a lot of success in their careers and this is this is very similar and this seems like uh, talent and level of competition gets better every single year well cheyenne stay dry stay warm and uh thanks for being with us it's always a pleasure to have you on our show thanks for it appreciate you having me all right we'll talk later all right coming up next is nathan weston he measures the pga courses that the pros and the caddies use the books that you see every year and there's some changes that are coming up and we'll talk to him about that but first mizuno golf has always had the best irons in the game the jpx 921 series offers feel and performance to suit players of all skill levels rain or shine the new stg 220 driver offers maximum adjustability with the combination of three tracks and two movable weights Complete your bag with our brand new T22 wedges featuring three finishes and four unique sole grinds to improve your short game. And check out what's new, all that's new, with Mizuno at MizunoGolf.com. Nothing feels like Mizuno. Reach beyond. Good morning. I'm Wayne Player. I'm a professional golfer for 35 years. You're listening to the Back Nine Boys. And welcome back. I'm Rich Stiles. Glad you're with us. Our next guest is Nathan Weston. Nathan spends a lot of time on the golf courses, much more than you and I. Good morning, Nathan, and welcome to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Nathan, you got to click on your mic, and you should be good to go. All right, we're going to talk to Nathan in just a minute. What Nathan does is, and we're going to ask him to give us the official request of what he does, but we're going to give him a call. Uh, something technical happens, um, 
And Nathan goes out to golf courses, and with his equipment, he measures everything that is happening from this point to this point, from any angle, from many different angles on the golf course. And then what he does is he takes that back and provides that information, and that's what the pros and the caddies use when they're on tour. And we'll have him on the air with us right now. Good morning, Nathan, and welcome again to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Good morning. How are you? Okay, sorry about the technical issues, but that's sometimes what happens when you have a live show. It's just the way it is. <laughs> All right, Absolutely. so tell me what you do so our listeners understand what you do for the PGA Tour. Yeah, so uh, I work for a gentleman named Mark Plon. Um, and uh, we produce the yardage books for all of the PGA Tour events, um, as well as the uh, Ryder Cup and the President's Cup. And so myself, I go out to all the golf courses that we play on tour, and uh, I physically map the golf course with surveying equipment. And um, then we bring that data in, which we make a new book every single year. And... Uh, Mark then takes all of that data on the computer and through some, uh, we have our own computer program and uh, a couple others, and, and we use all of that to produce the book each and every single week uh, where we do a, a regular uh, yardage book, and then we also do what we call a tee shot photo uh, uh, yardage book where we actually have a photo that I take from whatever tees we're going to be playing on each hole and we're able to actually put the tee shot lines in the photo. So it's a step up from the regular, we call it the black and white book, right. where you just have your tee shot lines on, a, on a, uh, you know, an overview of the hole. These actually have the tee shot lines in the photo, which can be very helpful with dog legs and certain trees and such. Okay, so if, if... That's what we do. All right, so if you did it last year and nothing has yep. changed at the golf course, why do you come back and do it again? So to the normal person, the golf course doesn't change. But um, I, to my knowledge, that's never been the case to where a golf course has, has not changed. Just because it's organic, the fairway lines always change, the green outlines always change. Okay. And it may be minuscule. But if, you know, if a green, if the front of a green changes a foot or yard, which is very easy to do, especially over the time span of a year. Right. And you take, you know, use the green example. You have a green that changes a yard, and then a player's on the, on the green. Use I, we'll, we'll probably get into this, but I'm going to use the example now. Using a greens book from the prior year, and they're using that old data. Gotcha. Where they locate themselves on the green. Gotcha. That puck could be completely different than it was the year prior. Right. Okay. Um, and then sprinkler head tags change a lot, and people don't think about that. And the yardages, we don't really care about what the sprinkler head uh, tag yardages are, but they're used for identification purposes for the caddies and the players, which is a big deal. Um, but there are some courses like Kapalua that has 3,000 sprinkler heads on the golf course, and there's not a single tag. Okay. Imagine okay. being a caddy out there trying to find your way in the fairway, which sprinkler head you're on. It's miserable. Heck, as a golfer, I can't sometimes find my way. Anyway, um, <laughs> all right. How long, though, does it take you to measure a course for a PGA event? So if I'm doing it from scratch, 
uh, meaning it's a brand new course. Uh, it, it'll take me about a week to do because okay. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm mapping everything now on a, on a standard course. So like Sea Island, for example, Seaside Plantation, it's going to take me three to four days depending upon weather because I'm remapping the fairway outlines, the green outlines, all the bunker outlines, and all the T outlines, as well as all the irrigation. Okay. What do you do then when you have all that information? Do you send it to Mark? Yes, yes. So um, I take all that data, check to make sure that it's, it's suitable, and then I send it to Mark. Mark then works, uh, works it through a couple programs on the computer to where he can put it out into a, a PDF, into a book form, send it to the printer, and that's it. It's, really, it's become really quite streamlined from five, six years ago when we were using four or five different computer programs, right. book. Now it's just a couple. All right. And how, really do, nice. how do the pros get the books? Do they buy them from Mark? Well, so it depends. Um, each tournament's a little different. Sometimes uh, the tournaments will buy the books for the players, the, okay. the standard black and white book. So players and caddies will get those for free uh, at uh, some tournaments. And then... The tee shot photo books and the greens books, the players always have to buy every single week. Um, and uh, there's a caddy out there. His name's Steve Holka. He's been out there forever. Just a legend. He has a, um, a luggage business where he, uh, <laughs> he, he takes players' luggage. I mean, this is genius. He takes it from tournament to tournament. Um, and his son does a lot of it now because he keeps threatening to retire. But uh, they, they have a big trailer. And the theory is, is is that players can just give them all of their luggage and take a carry-on and get on the plane. Um, and then wow. they drive all night and show up with, with their luggage out wherever the next event is. And so because they're at every event, they sell the books, the tee shop photo books and the greens books. But there are some uh, okay. tournaments that don't buy the, the black and white books. Right. So... If that's the case, then yes, the players will have to buy those as well. Bermuda is a great example of that. All right. So you and I talked earlier this week uh, when the weather was much better about the fact that the pros will no longer be able to use the green reading books. Yes. Why yes. is this now such a big deal? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really big deal for some, and, and for some it's, it's not. Um, you know, guys like, uh, like Bryson... Um, it's a big deal. Uh, you know, I was talking with Bryson about it, and and he's <laughs> leave this to Bryson. He he said I've I've been mapping green since I was 15 years old. Yeah. <laughs> Before he was ever on the PGA Tour. Yep. I mean, even in college, he was he was doing it himself. And so it's it's um, it's just something he's always had. And and um, I think something that's really overlooked with the greens books is is you have a greens book and you automatically think that okay, well, it's, you know, use it for putting, which is absolutely the case. However, um, most guys who have a greens book or who buy a greens book week in and week out, right. they use it just as much on their approach shot. Right, right. Because the difference is, is you're getting a lot more detail than a yardage book uh, green drawing. And so um, they're using it to see, okay, where are my back stops? Where can and can I not land the ball? Um, and so 
when you've got that that level of detail out there, um, it, it can be massively helpful uh, for for putting and, and like I said, for your approach shot. Right. Now the argument is is does it take away the skill of green reading? Um, what do you think? Does it? Well, <laughs> first of all, I'm biased, obviously, but. Um, I, I do. I, I see both sides. I, I think yeah. I can see how how someone thinks it does take away skill of of reading green, but at the same time, I also think it takes skill a to to read the book. Yeah. But it also takes skill to read the book and then apply it, and then still know okay, I've got to hit the putt this hard, right? And I've got to aim here. So there's still green reading involved. Sure. Um, and so. I see both sides, but that's the argument. And this uh, this was a player-driven thing. This wasn't you know, the RNA or the PGA Tour saying, "Hey, we want to get rid of these." This was a, a player-driven thing that um, you know, a group of players wanted to, to to go back to the more, I guess you'd say, the roots of golf. Right, the traditionals. But Rory McIlroy is the chair of that committee, and he uses yeah. the green books. And they voted now to not be able to use them. And I know Bryson's upset because you told me that. Phil looks like he was upset, at least what I've seen on, on social media. But Rory makes a decision with the committee for something that he's been using. Yes, yeah. And that's, that's a tricky subject, too, because you've got the, the player advisory committee. So this group of players who, who really, this was where it first started. Uh, well, I guess it first started, you know individually amongst the players but this was really the committee that got this whole initiative moving forward and becoming a reality right and so you've got you've got some people who are saying well you know here's these guys like rory and and a number of the guys on the player advisory committee who who are voting down using green's books but they use them themselves um which i understand but to be fair to them their counter-argument is that, hey, listen, yes, we use them. We don't want to, but hmm. they're so valuable that, and, and this is what they've told me, uh, is that if they're there and I don't use them, and I don't utilize them, I'm at a disadvantage. Right, because you're not using so, information that's available. Exactly. Right. So even though I don't agree with it, even though I don't like it, I'm going to use it so I'm not at a disadvantage. Right. So that's their perspective, which I completely get. Um, so that's kind of both sides of it, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. So I, I try and take, even though I'm, uh, you know, I don't have a direct part in, in making the Greens books every week, um, but I, I, I do try and see both sides of, of where everyone's coming from, you know? Yeah, which, um, so th those would be the argument. Yeah, but it also puts more pressure now on the pros and, more importantly, on their caddies. Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting because, um, you know, I think in the short term we're going to see guys, we're going to see who knows how to read a green, um, first I of don't, all. I don't. Um, and it'll be interesting to see statistically, putting-wise, you know, in a year, um, w w just what the the putting stats in general look right, like. Right, right. Who, uh, you know, are are the 
currently? Are the best putters still going to be the best putters in the world? Is it going to change? Um, and then also, uh, not every caddy is involved in reading every putt. Sometimes the player just wants to take control and, and do it himself. Um, so that's another thing that will be really interesting is, is the trust level that the players and caddies have. I know when I caddied, um, I, I never read a putt for, for my player. He just he always wanted to do it himself. Right. So, so it's going to be really interesting to see do you know, the players who, who usually who tend to just read the putts themselves, are they going to bring their caddy in more often? I think that they would. That confirmation or not. Yeah, I think they would because now they need another opinion. They don't have the green book to, ver- you know, to verify what they see. And I think if they're in a question, they're going to bring their caddy in, which brings up another question. It might involve and delay and have an effect on pace of play. Well, that's that's another thing. And I think that it's important that, that we get that out there, that this also, this, this ruling was not made for a pace of play right. issue. Yeah. Um but I, I, I do agree with you. I do think that it could slow things down. Yep. And, you know, talking with, for example, um, I was just in the Bahamas and was, was doing the, the work for the for, uh, Tigers tournament for the Hero. And I was down there talking with Bryson about it, and he brought up the same thing. But he said, hey, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt players. It's going to hurt caddies. It's going to slow pace of play. And now that's his argument, and I could, I could see it, you know, because people are going to, because that's another thing is that players use it's not that you know Phil and Bryson and all these guys who who love and use greens books it's not like they don't know how to read a pie you know, right. they'll go they'll read it and then they'll go to the book for confirmation right and if right. that confirmation is not there right and it's like okay wait what did I do wrong yeah I think it's interesting that Bryson's the one that said it's going to affect pace of play because he's the one that I think is uh, people are looking at his pace of play. But Nathan, I, wait, we'll, we're going to hold on that, get back to that. We've got to take a quick break. We'll be back with Nathan Weston right after this on the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Thanks for being with us. This is PGA professional Steve Scott, and you're listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. And welcome back. I'm Rich Stiles. We're with Nathan Weston, who goes around and just uh, measures all kinds of golf courses. All right, Nathan, I got a question. We talked about pace of play. Bryson should not be the one that is talking about pace of play, because I remember when he played with Harris English, probably the first time ever Harris English in a PGA Tour event was put on the clock, but he was playing with Bryson. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 interesting. Um, I, it, it's interesting, and I, yep. it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Like I said, as far as is it going to be more players that that take longer to to read these putts and sure. confirmation or not? Yeah. Um, but uh, I think Bryson's doing a lot to to in, improve that. Um, but I don't know how that's going to change going forward. He'll find something else in the rules to stretch the rules to his advantage. He'll figure out something. All right, I got to ask you this: How many PGA Tour events and courses do you measure each year? Oh my goodness, every single one. Um, so I haven't been home in over two years at this point. What? 
and on the road straight, yes, yeah. How do you not go uh, home? I mean, how do you not, I mean, so you live out of a suitcase? Yeah, pretty much, exactly. Yes, yes, yes. And I prefer to drive, as weird as it sounds, but, um, uh, you know, sometimes it just, you've got to get from place to place, coast to coast so fast, I've got to fly. Um, but, but I do prefer to drive. I get to see a lot of the country, which is nice. But, uh, but yeah, I left, uh, I left Boone, North Carolina in, um, 2018 and, and huh. haven't been back since. <laughs> well, it's, it might've changed a little bit since you left. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's what I'm told anyway. I, I can't confirm this, but that's what I'm told. Yes. Yeah. All right. How did you get into this business? I mean, you're in Boone, North Carolina, great place, great golf courses, and, you know, just a great place to be. But how did you get into this about measuring golf courses, and then did you realize you weren't going to be home for two years? Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't realize that, that's for sure. (laughs) You know, I started started doing this uh, really for the first time at the end of 2016, beginning of 2017, and... uh, I wish I could give you this great story about how I had this goal and worked towards it and, and achieved it, but it uh, um, it was because of Fred Funk, really. So Mark Long caddied for Fred for the bulk of his career and, and through the prime of his career when he won the players, was on Ryder Cup, a couple of President's Cups. Uh, um, you know, Fred won 16 times, eight on the uh, PGA Tour and eight on the Champions Tour. And I was living with Fred. And... Um, and I was just making my own yardage books because I'd become a club pro. And okay. um, I, I thought it was pretty cool. I was using Google Earth, hand-drawing the stuff, and went up to Fred one day. I was like, hey, look at this, you know? And he's like, that's great, mate, but let me introduce you to somebody <laughs> who uh, actually makes this yeah. uh, for real. Right. And uh, it was it was Mark. And so um, through Fred, I got the opportunity to, uh, to, to do a test run, so to speak, and... Um, uh, at the end of 2016, beginning of 2017, and, and uh, Mark took me under his wing and, and uh, started teaching me. Hmm. And so that's how I got into it. And then um, it's just evolved since then. And I've done a number of things uh, on top of that. Um, I, I mentioned Steve Hulk and the luggage business. I, right. uh, I, I started that on, on what was then the Web.com tour as well at the same time. And uh, caddied as well. Um, did laundry for players, washed the caddy, did. Oh, my gosh. Um, yes, yeah. So it was. Um, so I did a lot of things on top of the yardage books as well. But then the yardage books, um, you know, it got to a point where it's so busy, and yeah. that was really what I wanted to do. Um, and then it just, even with COVID, you know, it just worked out. It's never been where I've, I've gone for two years. Um, but it just worked out that uh, you know, we had, a, what was it, a month? month and a half break right um last march and i remember i was uh i was at austin country club and they had literally just finished putting up all the grandstands oh, and geez. uh yeah it was i'm on the golf yeah. course and there's lance armstrong and uh a former cincinnati reds player played for texas uh the longhorns drew stubbs all right we've got about 15 and, seconds nathan okay yeah and uh they're like we, we're gonna play i was like oh yeah we'll play 15 minutes later, tour calls, and yeah, we'll cancel. It's all over. All right, one last question. Do you measure Augusta National? I do not. Okay, darn. Okay. Nathan, thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. You and I will talk probably next week. I'll see you there. Uh, But thank you for being with us on the show. 
Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. All right, you too. Nathan, thank you. Want to thank Tony, Steve, Z, Patrick, Fred, and Gabe for being with us, and also PJ. With Rich Styles, go to backnineboys.com for all things golf whenever you want it. We'll be back next week with an all new Back Nine Boys at backnineboys.com.